the congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to the Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. And just to set the context, we are reminded that in chapter 5, the uh, Shulamite, the, the bride, had a very troubled evening as, as her, her, she was, fell asleep and was wayward, backsliding, and the bridegroom came, came knocking and, and uh, wanted her to open, that they could have fellowship and communion and union together. And, um, and she was slumbering, and, and she couldn't get to the door fast enough, as it were. And finally, uh, she's aroused to get to the door, and she finds her, her bridegroom is gone. And, uh, and she goes calling out in the streets after him and, and seeking him. And finally, the daughters of Jerusalem ask her this question, What is your beloved more than another beloved, and, O fairest among women? That, what is your beloved more than any other? And she gives a beautiful confession that he is altogether lovely as she praises his beauty, his strength, and his majesty. And the daughters of Jerusalem begin with another question in Song of Solomon chapter 6. They ask her, noticing that she has not yet found her beloved, they ask her another question. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? And the bride answers, My beloved has gone to his garden, to the bed of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. The beloved the bridegroom says, Oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Going down from Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of sheep, which have come up from the washing. Every one bears twins and None is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. There are sixty queens and, and eighty concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines, and they praised her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? I went down to the garden of nuts to see the verdure of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. What would you see in the Shulamite, as it were the dance of two camps? Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
there's something that we all recognize to one degree or another, and that is reconciliation is one of the most beautiful and precious things that can happen in the life of two people who have had their relationship broken. I can think of that as a husband and a wife, as you might have some strains in your relationship, and then to have that relationship uh, through reconciliation brought back together and to enjoy that intimacy and fellowship again and that openness with one another. Maybe that happens between parents and children. Maybe it sometimes happens between friends or members of a congregation. We recognize that throughout this world there are broken relationships. That many times the silence turns into darkness and unresolved feelings and disappointments and bitterness cloud our day. And we're wondering, how could anything ever get any worse? And when reconciliation happens, that dark cloud is lifted off. And you probably can say with me, there's probably no better feeling and experience in all of your life. This restoration and assurance that the bridegroom is giving to us here in Song of Solomon chapter 6 is really causing this dark cloud to lift off the bride We need to remind ourselves, as I did in introduction to the reading of God's Word, that this context actually begins way back in chapter 3, where the bridegroom is coming to the wedding feast in all of his glory and his majesty. In chapter 4, we see those beautiful love songs of the bridegroom, and and they're even repeated here in chapter 6. In chapter 5, we recognize that he has come into his garden. He has tasted and eaten of the fruits of his garden. He's enjoyed the fellowship with his bride. And then suddenly, we're confronted with this deep, troubled evening where the bride is slumbering and sleeping as the bridegroom comes a-knocking. And, and finally, she's aroused and she comes to the door to open to him and he's gone and she goes out calling after him, searching in the streets for him. And finally, the daughters of Jerusalem are asking her, what is your beloved more than another beloved? And in her confession, she can vividly describes his beauty and his strength and his glory and, and confesses he is altogether lovely. In chapter 6, As we turn to it, the question is asked, Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? And as we look at that in this morning, then we first of all recognize that this bridegroom and bride relationship is a typology, is an illustration of Christ and his church. And so we can identify with this spiritually, even in human relationships to spiritual relationships, that there are many ups and downs in these relationships, also also with our beloved, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, the bride of Christ is assured of Christ's steadfast love for her. That will be our theme for this morning, the bride assured of Christ's steadfast love, as she is first of all reassured of her union with Christ, and secondly, reassured by her communion with Christ. 
As we turn to Song of Solomon 6, verse 1, and you have that question, where has your beloved gone? <clears throat> the bride, in her answer, says, My beloved has gone to his garden, the bed of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. The picture of a garden here is a picture of intimate fellowship. We could think of the Garden of Eden, children. You know from Genesis chapter 2 that God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was a place that they had fellowship with God and, and communion with God. God came to them in the garden. It was, it was a place where they had union together, where he would nourish and care for his people. And, and here we find that in order for them to do so, they must belong to each other and possess each other just as a husband and a wife do. We have seen this in the confession of the bride already in chapter 2, verse 16. This confession that we find in verse 3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Even after her troubled evening, even though she has been struggling spiritually, she recognizes foundationally that she's united to Christ and, and that she is his and he is mine. And she's still certain of this, despite not fully experiencing it at the time. Because nothing can break this union. She's wed to him. Yes, she's deeply troubled by her backsliding, by her wandering, by seeking her beloved. And, and then suddenly, when this question comes to us, where is your beloved? It dawns on her. Wait a minute. He's always with his people. I know where he is. That's where he is. He's with his people. That's where I can find him because I belong to him. We'll see more specifically what that looks like in and how he's found among his people in, in way of communion with Christ. But we'll see that in our second point. But for now, let us remember that she's confessing foundationally that her union is with Christ. I am my beloved's and he is mine. And that's an important question for us today. As we gather together as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, all together as one, united in him, that's... That's what's important. He, he gathers us in union with Him. And, and, and the only way that we can have union in Him is through faith in Him, trust in Him, confidence in Him. That's why this question is so important. Also, when we examine ourselves for the Lord's Supper, it's not how much have I experienced and how much am I assured, but rather it's this. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope, as your only Savior? the one whom you can't live without. Yes, you know yourself as black and dark, but he is altogether lovely. He is the chief among ten thousands. He is the one who is that bright and morning star. He is, he, is, he is all that I really want in my life, even though I struggle so many times in life and my relationship is up and down. And He is who I am saved by and united to. That's, that's what needs to be answered today. And that's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, is that union with Christ and His work 
the broken bread, showing his broken body for our sins, and the poured out wine, showing his shed blood for our sins. But notice, the bride doesn't just stay there thinking, oh, he's with his flock and I'm outside of the flock. I, I can't be part of them. But this is where the bridegroom hears the confession. He hears the answer of the bride and, and he starts to speak. He starts to speak in verse 4. And we find there in verse 4 that he tells his bride, who it, it's kind of a surprise that he would tell her of all of her beauty and glory because of what she's done. But here she, he does it anyway. Oh, my love, you are beautiful as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. We hope to look at that also in light of verse 10 this afternoon. But for now, just remember that he's confessing his union and his love with his bride. The bridegroom, you would think, might have been disappointed. And, and in his silence, he, he might be thinking, how, how could he ever trust her to be faithful again? Maybe if you were the bridegroom, all you see is the blemishes and, and, and the darkness and the spots and the weakness in the bride of Christ. And, and, and they are there. Don't kid yourself. And, and so often as men and women Brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, we, we become impatient with one another when we don't see the, the fruits of grace and the fruits of the Spirit in their life. And yet, notice how tenderly Christ comes here. He comes, you are, oh my love, you are beautiful, lovely even as Jerusalem. And notice what he says in verse 5. Notice how overcome he is by his bride. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. You can almost imagine the, the bridegroom looking into the bride's eyes here. That, that's been unfaithful and she knows it. And, 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 and there's been, she's been the cause of this broken relationship. And, and she's repenting and coming, coming with those lovesick eyes. Desiring again that union and fellowship together. And, and as, as her eyes are on him, seeking after him, he says, turn away those eyes from me. Uh, they, they're overcoming me. I can't, I can't even take it. You know, you know as a father or mother, you, you know that when your children have done something wrong and they come up to you and, and, and they look at you as like, oh, mommy, daddy, I, 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 just, I just want you to hold me and tell me it's okay. It's okay. And you as a parent, just can't resist. You take your child in your arm and you forgive them and you tell them how much you love them despite what they've done. That's what parents do. That's, that's our Lord Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. He comes to us this morning as we've been looking to him this week and, and with lovesick eyes for joining together to celebrate his love. And he says, look away from me. Your eyes are, are overcoming me. He desires to be with his people, to fellowship with them and that union that he has with them. And he reminds her of that. He reminds her of that in, 
in the rest of verse 5 through 7, where, where basically the bridegroom repeats his love song in chapter 4. He repeats it almost word for word. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins and, and none of is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate, your temples behind the veil. He's saying is your beauty and your health and your nurturing grace and your it's all lovely to me. It's just as lovely as it was before. You can imagine the bride. She's, she's just fallen. She's backslidden. She's repenting and coming to him. And the, and the bridegroom repeats his marriage love song to say, I love you just as much and maybe even more than when I first married you. You are mine. You are united to me. What encouragement. The bride here is reassured of her beauty. Not, a, not even a little bit of that beauty has been diminished. She's just as beautiful as she was before. But notice as we go on in verse 8. The bridegroom is speaking of her in that diversity of her unity. There are 60 queens, 80 concubines, and virgins without number. Now, obviously, that doesn't ever give a biblical mandate to have more than one wife or anything like that. Uh, but, but there is a representation going on here in the Song of Solomon, which was common in those days, of the king having many wives, queens, and, and concubines, and, and, and others who would be engaged in and, and virgins, they, they, they would all have a different status. They would, they, they would be somewhat different, and yet they were one. They were one. And that's, that's the illustration you also get of the bride of Christ. The many become one, one bride. But notice here, he says there's 60 concubines, or sorry, 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. What, what's, what's that illustrating? Well, we can see it as... Believers of all different spiritual degrees, whether they're degrees of assurance of faith and holiness or whatever it would be. Obviously, not all believers have the same intimacy with the groom. The queens, they have that intimate relationship. They have more access to the groom than the concubines and the virgins. The concubines also have that intimate relationship, and, and yet it's somewhat different than the virgins. And, and there's Notice 80 or 60 queens, 80 concubines, and virgins without number. And they're all the bride of Christ. They're all one. Maybe you could think about this in the illustration of the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples were the unit that Jesus chose as his apostles in this world. There were 12. They were all disciples. But then there were John's who laid on the breast of, of Jesus in really intimate relationship at, at the final Passover supper. And then there were Peter's who were much different and Thomas's and so on. 
Each one of them were very different in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and experienced very different things in that relationship. And yet they were all one. They were one. John's epistle, uh, actually John in 1 John 2, he addresses the different fathers and or the different men. And, and he says to them, I write to you, fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning so some some are spiritual fathers in faith and then he says i write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one some are young men and then he says i write to you little children because you have known the father in other words what they're saying is experientially not everyone is at the same place in their relationship and their intimacy with christ but they are all united to him you could have a whole class of students or, uh, or a whole baseball team or whatever illustration you want to use. Let's use a baseball uh, team, for example. And, and you have some players, they're all on one team, but some players are taller. Some players are faster in running. Some players are better fielders. Some players are better pictures and, uh, and everything else, right? So you have this... There's, there's different levels of gifts and everything else. They're not all the same. And so it is in the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, Je- but the bridegroom is placing this here to reassure the bride that though there are differences, there, are per- there is perfect unity among you. Verse 9, he says, My dove, my perfect one, It's only one, and the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. They are all his bride. They are all treasured. They are all loved. They are all his perfect one. There's no spot found in her. She is the only one, the favorite of the one who bore her. As parents, you can identify that too, can't you? As fathers, your children come to you and they say, um, you know, wh- which, which one of us are the favorite? And you could say to Johnny, you are the favorite. You could say to Alexa, you are the favorite. And, and you could say to them all, you are favorite. Because you're all favorite. As a father, you, you can't tell which one's the favorite, but you're all the favorite. That's the beauty of it. And here also, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us this, this, this morning in the Lord's Supper and says, you know, tarry for one another because every one of you are favored by me and I desire that every one of you who are mine are at my table and, and desire to, to remember what I've done for you. Not that one would be left behind. And even the rest of the family, the daughters saw her and called her blessed and the queens and the concubines and they praised her. The rest of the family are even calling the least of the bride blessed. And the queens and the concubines, they're not thumbing their noses at those who aren't as mature as them. Those who don't have as much intimacy in fellowship with God as they do. Those who are as holy as them or as godly in life as them. 
But no, they see his bride as precious. And they, they see the best in his bride. And they lift it up and they magnify it because of that union that they have with the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul says the same thing in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 22. He says, no matter which members of the body, he's picturing the body of Christ as, as a body with many members. And even those weaker members are necessary And as a matter of fact, the less honorable, you need to bestow the more honor on them. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did with Peter? Peter denied him. And yet Peter was the first with lovesick eyes seeking him at the grave. And Jesus met with Peter also. Aren't those important words to remember from Scripture? And not only did he meet him on that first day when he rose again, but he comes again to him and and he restores him and commissions him to personally feed his sheep. What an encouragement that our bridegroom doesn't remember our faults and our weaknesses, our slumbering. But this should never promote promote us, uh, promote the idea that it doesn't matter how we live and and, and we don't really need to grow in grace. It shouldn't promote that idea at all, but it rather should promote a desire and a motivation to grow. Even our young children desire to grow up to be young men, young fathers, old men. They, they desire to grow. Our, our young girls desire to become young women and moms and so on. They desire to to grow and there's when there's a a healthy attitude toward life and so it also is in spiritual life we want to grow we want to know more of the beauty and the glory of holiness and that intimate relationship with god and isn't it true as as people get older this might sound very surprising to you children but as people get older Actually, especially in faith, they, they get more beautiful. You say, well, no, no. The society tells us, you know, these young uh, people are, they're the most beautiful in the world, and you don't ever see old people as beautiful. But actually, spiritually speaking, some of the most beautiful people are those old saints who are ready to go to be with the Lord, and their faces glow with anticipation. And desire to be with him. That's true beauty. That's beauty that lasts for eternity. Not only is the bride being reassured of her unity. But she's briefly being reassured of her communion with Christ. Notice back again in verse 2. My beloved has gone to his garden to the bed of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, to gather his gather lilies. He feeds his flock among the lilies. In other words, as I said before, Christ is with his people. He's with his people as they gather in worship together in his name. He's with his people under the preaching of his word. He's with his people in the sacraments. He's with his people in prayer. He's with his people in Bible study. Christ is where his people are. And that 
is a truth that permeates all of Scripture. There's no Lone Ranger type of brides in Scripture. But one bride, one body, one temple, it is his garden. And he comes to his bride and he visits and nourishes and has fellowship with his people. Where two or three are gathered, says Jesus, I am with them because he is with his people. We need to remember that. The importance of gathering together, uniting together in fellowship. What a privilege it is to all be together this morning to celebrate and to feast upon what Christ has done for us and to have sweet communion with Him. That's a reassurance of His love toward us. And secondly, notice the confession of the bride. And it's important to see and to know who's speaking here. And, and as you look in verse 11 and 12, um, some, some commentators speak about Christ uh, or the bridegroom speaking, and others the bride. Um, I, I, I would take the position that the, the bride is actually speaking here, and that, that she is um, really uh, giving a testimony of what's happened. As the, as the bridegroom has praised her, as she says, I went down to, to the garden of nuts. I, I, I see the verdure of the valley uh, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranate had bloomed. But before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. In other words, she's explained that as she examined herself, as she looked at herself, and as she went back down to those garden nuts, those those gardens that she used to till as, as the bride in Song of Solomon 1, where she was dark but lovely, and, and, and she went back down there to see that valley, and, and there she looked, in, and the vine had budded, and the pomegranates had bloomed. There, there was evidences of life and that union, and, 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 and before she is even aware, all of a sudden her soul was stirred within her to desire that communion with her bridegroom. And, and she fled after him, seeking him as the chariots of my noble people. It says it were, she says, I'm going to fly back to the bridegroom as those willing people. It's driving in those chariots furiously, quickly back to the bridegroom. That's what moved her soul. And, and as the bridegroom hears this, he, he, he comes to her in verse 13, verse A. He says, sorry, in, in verse 13A, he comes to her and he says, oh, return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon you. He, he's desiring also that communion and fellowship with her. And may we also, by God's grace, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, be quickened as we have examined ourselves and, and, and found maybe just small evidences of grace. And, and yet we can't deny that there's some union with the Lord Jesus Christ and that I love him and I, I, I can't explain it any other way than he began his work in me and fly again to the Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, as a willing people to hear his words, do this in remembrance of me. And may God bless us as we do so.
The Lord, the psalmist, exclaims to his soul, Bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, and forget not all his benefits. Lord, we have been able to remember your benefits toward us as we celebrated the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what you have done. And where we recognize, O Lord, that indeed you have forgiven us all our iniquities. And as far as the east is from the west, Lord, you have removed our transgressions from us. Lord, you heal all our diseases. For you are a heavenly Father who pities his children. You crown our lives with loving kindness and tender mercies as a faithful covenant-keeping Father. And Lord, you redeem our life from destruction. For Lord, you have not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For indeed, your mercy is as high as the heavens, even higher than the earth. And your mercy endures from generation to generation. And so, Lord, as we conclude this service, we render you thanks and bless your holy name. And so, Lord, go with us and bring us back this afternoon that we might hear of the glory of your bride. For Jesus' sake, amen.